0: Well, like I said this morning, we're getting back into Judges for week 75, I think, uh, and because Ken, uh, you know, Ken, that, that head isn't just a hat rack. He's a pretty smart guy, and he kept telling me, hey, chapter 16 has a lot. Chapter 16 has a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of meat in there. Don't, you, I don't want you to skimp on it. If you need two weeks, you should take two weeks. So I'm taking two weeks. Uh, so, we're going to start, and I want you to know from the beginning, if you're going, man, we're, we're pretty deep into this, and we're not very far in the passage, it's by design, uh, and we will make it, we'll finish chapter 16 next week. But I want to start uh, kind of where Michael left off. Three weeks ago, Michael took us through the entire chapter 15 because he's brilliant, uh, and I, I can't make it through five verses today. Uh, but what he did is he kind of characterized Samson's life as the, the TVMA rating that you see on a lot of TV shows for disturbing uh, images, for lust, for sexual content, and violence. And we're going to see a lot of those play out in the passage this morning. Chapter 15 ended where we're going to begin today with this last verse, this sentence that kind of uh, brings us to where we are today says, so Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the time the Philistines dominated the land. And what I, I want you to, to think about is, although Michael taught chapter 15 three weeks ago, as we open up this morning, 20 years has passed. And I want you to think about where you were 20 years ago. Some of you weren't even alive. Some of you were in college. Some of you had just started your professional career outside of college. Some of you were teenagers. Twenty years has passed, a long time. But what we see is, it's the same old story with Samson. And as we open up uh, Judges chapter 16, we see that Samson is blind to his weakness. All these years, he hasn't matured, he hasn't grown, he hasn't changed anything. He's still about uh, what Samson has always been about. And in verse 1, we start to get that TVMA rating as it opens up saying, Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. Right off the back, Samson is on his way somewhere. He sees someone, and he says, That's what I want. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because 20 years before and probably five or six weeks ago, Ken took us through chapter 14, and it started off the exact same way, just so you can see it. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman of Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. He went, he saw, and he had to have So in chapter 14, he enlists his parents and makes them uh, overcome their objections of, hey, if you remember, Ken said, isn't there anyone in your youth group that you could date? Do you have to go outside of the youth group? You know, and and remembering what God had commanded them to not intermarry, to keep religious purity uh, among his people. But Samson went into Philistine territory, saw, and had to have. And that is exactly what we see here as we open up chapter 16. Now, Samson went into Gaza, deep into enemy territory, and he saw a prostitute. He saw someone that he was attracted to, and therefore he had to have her, and he entered her home and entered into relations. You know, it's it's an interesting thing to see this life of Samson, and 20 years later, even with all that he has lost, the consequences of the self-indulgent, unbridled passion, disregard for the Lord, the things that he has lost, the, the cost that he has incurred, is great. And, and this is kind of a review of where we've been so that you can be up to speed, but it's, it's the cost that he has paid for the life that he has lived, this impulsive, selfish compromising life. First is the cost of a relationship with his parents. As you look at chapter 14, as Ken took us through there, man, he just doesn't really respect his parents. He doesn't care about their opinions. He's entitled. He's a brat. Um, he, he doesn't love well his parents or respect them. And we see this culminate in uh, after he killed the lion, remember he returned and he's like, hey, I need to see my handiwork. And he kind of came over here and viewed the, the carcass. And behold, there were bees that were making honey. And he saw it. And he saw that it looked good. So he went and took it. And then he shared it with his parents. Getting this food from a dead animal. A dead carcass making his parents unclean. No regard. There's a, a fracture uh, a distance in his relationship with his parents. It also cost him a wife. I mean, I, I still am baffled by the story of, of Samson getting married. After uh, he sees this woman, his parents go and get her. He's gonna. He's headed down to marry her. The Philistines give him thirty groomsmen so that he could have people to celebrate with. He uh, decides to play, uh, let's, let's do the riddle, and he gives this riddle that no one could solve unless they were with him. And the, the cost is high, 30 uh, uh, changes of clothes. If he wins, and uh, he has to clothe all 30 if he loses, and if he wins, he gains 30 changes of clothes, which is a good amount of money. And these men are determined to find out the secret of this riddle, the answer to the puzzle. And so they go to his wife, and they threaten her. In fact, they don't just threaten her, they threaten her dad as well, saying, hey, if you don't find out the the answer to this riddle, we're going to kill you and your father and burn you. Well, obviously, that's a pretty good motivation to solicit your husband for this response, which annoyed Samson, But she was more annoying about it and kept on and kept on because her life was at stake. And Samson finally relented and gave her the answer, which of course she passed on to these men who came to Samson one day and said, hey, we know the answer to the riddle. Samson was pretty upset, if you recall, that they went and took advantage of his wife to get information extracted, extracted from him. So in a rage of anger, he goes to another town, kills 30 men, and takes their stuff to pay off his debt. And then he sulks and storms off going home, leaving his wife alone and his marriage unconsummated. Well, the father of the bride, realizing he's left his daughter, does what any dad would do. Well, why don't you just go with the the best man? And he gives Samson's wife to his best man, provided by the Philistines, to be his wife. This self-indulgent, this spontaneous, impulsive life cost him a wife. We also see that it cost him friends. In that same story, just the fact that he had to be given 30 people to celebrate with, this lifestyle... The self-absorbent lifestyle has left him alone. And you may be thinking of people in your life that you're like, yep, that selfish person doesn't have any friends, doesn't have any community, and no one really wants to be around them because they are all about themselves. They only make decisions for themselves. They only care about what they can get out of a relationship or a situation. They only have the lens of me. And that's who Samson is. And he is left alone. Well, it also cost him his own people. Because if you continue to remember out of chapter fifteen, what happened fourteen and fifteen, what happens is Samson apparently looks at the list of transgression to gifts to make amends with his wife. You know, if you just have a simple argument and you're wrong, you get her flowers. If you make a big oopsie, you get her uh, jewelry. And if you leave her alone and unconsummated on her wedding day, you get her a goat. And so he takes a goat and to go see her, and the dad's like, oh my gosh, I didn't think you'd be back. In, In fact, I was so sure that you blamed my daughter for giving up the answer to your riddle and all that it cost you that I thought you were done with her and I gave her to your best man. Well, Samson now feels justified to take revenge and he burns down their fields, their wheat fields, hindering their food supply and really impacting the Philistine people, which, surprisingly, they weren't very excited about. And so they tried to figure out who did this, and it was pinpointed on Samson, but the reason was on the father and the, the wife. So what did they do to the father and the wife? Do you remember? They killed him and burned them, Which is why the wife gave them the answer in the first place, to avoid that. But then they went up against Judah. They lined up the battle lines, and Judah came out and was like, what are you doing? What What... Why are you going to attack us? They're like, we want Samson. And Judah said, well, we don't want him. So they sent 3,000 men to find him and said, we need to turn you over. Yes, you're a judge of Israel, but we don't want the boat rocked. So he agreed to go with them. He was bound up, and when they came to the, the army of the Philistines... They started chanting and jeering and celebrating in victory. And the Spirit of the Lord came on Samson. He snapped the cords, took a jawbone, and killed a thousand of them. And then he ruled as judge for 20 years. This lifestyle, this pattern, has continued on and on in his life. And we see this indulgent lifestyle, this sinful lifestyle, continue. Uncle Chuck, Chuck Swindoll, says it this way. We hear nothing of the details of Samson's life for nearly 20 years. Then he goes to Gaza, notices a woman, and spends the night with her. We see again Samson's sensual root, the inclination he has never broken. And as I'm reading this, I'm getting so frustrated with him. Like When you read the account of Samson's um, birth in chapter 13, you see that God sent a messenger to a woman who hadn't had children and couldn't have children and said, I am going to give you a son and I am setting him apart for a great work. Before he was conceived, he was planned out and purposed in this life. He was blessed with so much strength and so many abilities. And he could not take his eyes off himself to live it out. And I keep thinking, what a waste. How can you be so blind? How do you not see your weakness? How do you not see these patterns repeated in your life? I even think through where I started my youth ministry, there was a young lady that I just loved dearly. And and she was in my youth program, and when she hit high school, she would be one of my best leaders for three months. And then she'd disappear for two months. And then she'd reappear and talk about, I I just need to get close to the Lord, and I just need to be with Him, and I need to, to serve, and everything else. And then she'd be with me for a little bit, and then she'd disappear, And finally, she's like, I I just don't know why I can't stay committed. I'm like, you know what's crazy? You may not realize this, but every time you start dating a guy, you disappear. She had a cycle. When she was single, I want to live for the Lord, and I wanted to follow him. When she got in a relationship, I'm going to disregard the Lord, and I'm going to do whatever I want to. That same pattern was repeated when I worked with college students at Henderson State. This great young believer had so much potential. I mean, we would meet every week and talk about faith and truth and accountability and how to live for Christ in the midst of a fraternity. And then there would be three weeks where I couldn't get a hold of him. And finally, when he would respond, he'd go, let's get together. Man, it's been a hard three or four weeks, and... I'm like, anything else going on? Well, I met this girl, and I just really liked her, and just kept messing up another cycle. And I could have been frustrated at them too, but man, when I I look at this, and I read this, and I'm frustrated, it's like the Holy Spirit was like, hey, don't you see yourself in Samson? Don't you see areas in your life that have been long-term struggles? long-term failures, long-term ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Aren't you glad I'm graceful to you? Aren't you glad I paid for those sins? Aren't you glad I gave you the Holy Spirit to overcome them, even when you ignore it? Aren't you glad I don't jump all over you when you turn your eyes to yourself and go your own way? Man, that really helped me have compassion for For Samson although I still kind of want to whip him, Uh, but it made me ask some questions And, and I'm going to share these questions with you because maybe they'll be helpful the first is the question of do you know your weakness when you look at your life do you see repetitive themes ups and downs in a specific area or specific areas that you've struggled with on and off for a long time Do do you see those areas in your faith, in your life, in your walk with the Lord, that are susceptible to invasion by the enemy? Do you see them, or or are you blind to them like Samson is? Second question, do you have community? Biblical community that is willing to point you to God, to tell you the hard truth, to deal with the things you're struggling with, and bring it all back to the Lord instead of to the world and compromise? Samson had no community. He had no friends. He had no one around him to say, Samson, stop. Do you not see these cycles that you continue to repeat? If you don't have community, you are very susceptible to sin. And you have to have genuine community where you actually share what's going on in your life and be willing to receive truth and receive correction, and receive being pointed back to the truth in Scripture and to the Christ our Savior. And then the third question is, do you have someone close that you can ask about any possible blind spots? Do you have people that actually know you well enough that if you said, hey, do you see anything in my life? I I, I just want to make sure I'm not missing something that is obvious to everybody else. Do you have anyone you trust that much? Anyone that knows you that well that you could ask those questions to? That is a good friend. That is someone that is so valuable in your life. Because, you know, there are times where you just need someone to go, yeah, I haven't known how to say it. I didn't know how to quantify it. But if you're asking, here's what I see. And then you have to be humble enough to receive it and to take it to the Lord and say, God, man, this has been brought up to me. I want to lay it at your feet, and I want to see a transformation in this area. And I want to see you empower this weakness in your strength for your glory. These are three great questions to to be dealing with this week. As, As you look at chapter 16, as you dig into those verses, in the growth guide, and just see what the Lord uh, would ask of you. As we continue, when it was told that the, the Gazites, saying, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until the morning light, then we will kill him. Now Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he rose and took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts and pulled them up along with all the bars. Then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite of Hebron. Here we go. Word gets out. Samson has waltzed into Gaza. My guess is he at this point thinks he's invincible. I mean, he's killed a lion. He's killed 30 men. He's killed 1,000 men. I don't think he was sneaking into Gaza. I don't think he was worried about an ambush. But as word gets out that he's there, an ambush is what is in store for him. And they surround where he's at. They surround the gate, the entrance, in and out. And they come up with a plan to get him. Now, they remember when he was bound and being brought to him, in chapter 15, and they started cheering and taunting and celebrating. And then he slaughtered them. So they're going with a little different route. Hey, let's be quiet. We'll let him be with the prostitute all night. And when he, light happens and he wakes up and he comes out before he gets his coffee, that, that's in the Hebrew, uh, let's jump him. And then we can subdue him. Ken's not here to verify that that's in the Hebrew, but trust me, you don't have to ask him either. So they lay in wait, looking for an opportunity. Samson is incredibly vulnerable. He's focused on this prostitute, but the reality is he didn't go there to cuddle. And around midnight, he got up and left the prostitute in bed and headed out. And I don't know if that's because he's restless and... He's like, well, I've done what I came to do, so I'm heading out. Or if he got word that there was an ambush waiting for him. What we do know is he left in style, didn't he? He walked out, walked up to the city gates, decided to take a souvenir. Grabbing, it's like the Incredible Hulk, you know. He's like, Hulk smash! He grabs the gate, everything with it, incredibly heavy, massive structure, puts it on his shoulder and hauls it off. And he didn't just... Take it a little bit. He didn't just knock it down. He actually, it says he took it from Gaza, which is right there, all the way to the mountain opposite of here. That's about 38 to 40 miles. Now, yeah, that's a lot. I, I was going to make a joke about being weak, but uh, that, that's probably obvious. Don't laugh, Andrew. Um so he, he makes this great feat of strength. He rips the gates. He takes it. He marches up to 38 miles and sets it down. But even this is all about him. There is no reason to carry the gate all the way to, to Hebron, Hebron. Except to put it in Judah's face, the ones that tried to betray him. He could be trying to look impressive to them and say, look, they can't even get me when I'm in their city. I brought their gate. Look here. Look at me. But it is, as Lawson Younger says, such a self-serving feat. Not that Samson should not have saved himself, but it is precisely this. Samson acts only to save himself. He has not delivered one Israelite, in the hands of the oppressors the philistines this is all about him if he had just knocked down the city gate it would have had the same impact it would have been embarrassing to the people and left the city vulnerable but that's not what samson's about he's about himself and so he carries this thing for miles and miles and the mountain range is up to two thousand feet so he would have a story if he ever had had grandkids to go, in my day, we used to carry gates uphill both ways. Um, anyway, some of you aren't old enough for those stories. Samson continues to show that his life is marked by self, marked by selfishness, by self-absorption. It's all about him. And what we see in, in these first few verses, is the pursuit of sinful desire pleasure has hidden dangers. As he went into the, the prostitute's home, danger laid in wait. He turned his back on the Lord and put his focus on this woman, and there were traps set for him. Now you might be asking, well, why didn't they, you know, up their, their game and ambush him? And one of the commentators uh, thought out loud, it may have been the Lord gave them a deep sleep so they didn't hear the gate rip off. Could be. Uh, if it was me laying in wait to ambush this guy and I saw him come out you know, five, six hours before I expected, that would have thrown me off my game a little bit. But when he put his hands on the gate and ripped it out, I would have looked at the guy next to me and said, you go get him. And he would have said, no, you go get him. No, you first. I'll, I'll follow you. Uh, So I I don't know why they didn't ambush, but they didn't. But there was danger all around because he was following his sinful pleasure, his self-indulgent life. After this, it came about that he loved a woman. We're about ready to enter Delilah from the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistine came up to her and said to her, entice him. And see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we will each give you 1100 pieces of silver. Now, being a math guy, I did the math so you wouldn't have to in case you're like, school's over and summer's not for math. I did the math for you. Based on what their salary, their average salary was, for uh, a year, and multiplying that by what I think the average salary is in Arkansas, 1,100 pieces of silver a person times five, there's five lords, is about $22 million. Man, you talk about an offer you can't refuse. It isn't a threat like the the wife was where we're going to kill you if you don't Get us the secret. It's an enticement. Hey, if you do this, we will enrich you. And we find that Delilah is a lot like Samson, looking out for old number one. And she is more than willing to gain from Samson's demise. Because you see what? Well, I I should tell you the funny story. Uh, as I was reading this and thinking about $22 million and like, whoa, that would, that would make me kind of look at my wife if I knew she was being offered $22 million to, uh, yeah. I mean, you know my wife. She's very sweet. She's loving. She would say it, the money wouldn't be anything compared to me, but she's wrong. Um, <laughs> you that know me know that's true. Um, but when I took Financial Peace years ago, Dave Ramsey, you know, he talks through all these financial things. One of them is about life insurance. And as he was talking about life insurance, he made this statement. Buy enough term life insurance that you know your family will be taken care of, but not so much that you have to sleep with one eye open at night. And, and I couldn't help but think about that quote in terms of Delilah being offered $22 million. But what's crazy is, Samson couldn't see what his enemies knew. His enemies knew his weakness, women, pleasure, indulgence. And they found this opportunity as an opening to get at him. Just like the 30 guests found an opportunity with his wife to get information from him, these five lords of the Philistines engaged Delilah to enrich her life To remove the stain of Samson from their lives. The enemies knew his weakness better than he did. That's that's what's at stake with those questions. That's why I think they're so important. Because whether or not you know your weakness, your enemy knows your weakness. They also found a weakness in Delilah. Delilah. She liked money. So they exploited two weaknesses to try to get at the secret that Samson had, that for over 20 years he had had kept hidden from everybody else. They've enlisted a partner, and next week we're going to see what happens. But for now, I I just need everyone to be really clear on this. You've got to know your weaknesses because your enemy does. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it's very clear. Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to have a sober spirit. We need to have our eyes wide open. We need to be in community to continue to uh, shower uh, light and truth into our lives. We need to be in God's word Seeking truth and aligning ourselves to God's purposes, living for him, fortifying our faith in truth. Because we have an enemy and he knows our weaknesses and he's looking for any and every opportunity to exploit them. Big picture of this small section we've covered and we will finish 16 next week. A takeaway, in our weaknesses, he is strong. So we need to rely on the Lord for the strength to stay out of the enemy's entrapments meant to bind and afflict us. We need to rely on the Lord for the strength. We need to be in our community, our biblical community that points us to him, reminds us of all that he has done, how he has been faithful even when we are unfaithful, how he forgives when we fall. And fail and he has great purposes that were determined for us before we had breath before we were conceived and he wants you to live in those purposes today so cast aside this plague of self and fix your eyes on the Savior A few next steps goes right back to those questions. Maybe you're hearing this and you're like, you know what? I'm not sure. I feel like I'm okay or I'm not sure if I I see what Shane was talking about. But I'm going to ask a close friend. I'm going to ask them to be blunt, to be honest, to take a risk in telling me truth. I'm going to ask them if there are any areas of sin in my life that I might not see. Maybe you know what those are, and maybe you have that close community or those few friends that you trust or your small group. Maybe your next step is to confide in a close friend those areas of sin, those areas of weakness, so that you can get accountability in prayer. and prayer. And maybe something's on your heart now, and we're going to have people to pray under faith. I'm sorry, under, we don't have faith. We just have hope and love. Uh, um, to pray with you. You know, come up and pray whatever God on, is on your heart, or if you need some prayer for a specific uh, need in this area, they would love to pray with you. Father, God, we just confess that we fall short, that you are a good, good God. You are faithful when we are faithless. You are true and strong when we are weak, and you forgive us when we fail. Lord, would you please give us the strength and the courage to involve other people to live for you, to confide in, to see ways that we fall short, and to point us back to your truth and to your good path. May we walk in your ways. Amen.